What up, though? This is Rich of the Mental Matters Podcast. Thank you for joining us again for another episode. We are sitting down with Sebastian Jackson of the Social Club Grooming Company, the founder and CEO of the Social Club Grooming Company, as we talk about his journey as a master barber, how he is impacting not only the city of Detroit, but also looking to become a nationally known brand. Also, how his work as a master barber is influencing young men across the city of Detroit to step into their own as barbers and creators and things of that nature. So, grab your popcorn, grab your snacks, whatever you enjoy this podcast with, and uh, let's jump into this thing. Yeah. Mental matters, mental matters, your mental matters, mental matters, your mental matters, mental matters, your mental matters, mental matters, yo. Your mental matters ain't a simple pattern. We need to have a central chatter. Food for thought, grab a platter. My mental ain't for rental. I'm a central man, it's simple. I'm a ripple in the rip, though. I don't want to sick my shit, so gotta know your mental. Black life is hard, I don't resent, though. Feelings really real, we should present those. Talk about it, you should know your mental matters. Your mental matters, mental matters, Ladies yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, what up, though? <laughs> this is the Mental Matters Podcast, all about black men and our journey through good mental wellness, self-care, all things jerk chicken. And of course, <laughs> I need to know what's on your feet because we love to see them shoes. So I'm your co-host Richard here with my brother Jarrell. Jarrell, what up with what, what you, man? How you feel? I feel good. I'm doing good. And I have, uh, I just took these off. My polo boots. No gym polo. shoes today. <laughs> Fair. As long as they crispy and they clean, that's all that matters. <laughs> I have dug into my closet and grabbed the Air Jordan 8 Special Editions Multicolor Joints. I am. I just say, you know what? I'll wear my sneakers. I don't know what's wrong with these people that be dead stocking shoes. It's very confusing. Mm -hmm. But whatever. I can spend all day. And honorable mention, I hate Foot Locker, Finish Line, (laughs) Champs. Uh, for the action, <laughs> Nike.com and the sneakers app because uh, between gentrification and uh, resellers, it has destroyed the sneaker community. But we're going to say that for another episode because I ain't got that kind of time and I got to protect my mental. Today, mm-hmm. um, before we jump into um, our usual routine, we have a special guest. Um, one of my, um, I'll say college colleagues, yeah. who has just up and bloomed <laughs> all through the city of Detroit and even get some national buzz um, just about who he is, what he does on a daily basis, and just for the culture, for the community. So with no further ado, he is, I'm going to say Master Barber, even though you yeah. may say different, a Master Barber in his own respect, as well as nationally known. Um you graduated from Wayne State or you went to Wayne State? I went to Wayne you. State. I'm I'm still like a semester short. Oh man, it don't listen. It's like it's over at it's, this point. It's over. Nah, at this <laughs> week, this is like I'm just trying to pick and choose a time where I'm not busy to go to school <laughs> and finish this degree thing. Um good friend and now a part of the mental matters community, my brother Sebastian. How are you, man? I'm good, man. I appreciate you having me. 
And, uh, you know, I got my little, my little Wallies today. Oh, Wallies? Little Wallies. I don't know if y'all rock with the Wallies, but, you know, the weather is actually not that bad out. So it's like, today. To get off the, the light butter soft Wallies <laughs> one last time, you know? Listen, you better because we don't know what Michigan going to do in the next week. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Forecast. It's 60 degrees tomorrow, but it's raining, but then. See, in a couple weeks, you know. See, welcome to December in Michigan, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> so, as our usual custom, we like to just do our mental check ins, make sure everybody's good. So, I'm gonna start with you, brother Sebastian. Um, how you been? How are you taking care of yourself mentally? And what, what are you doing for yourself for our self care? Yeah, that's a good question, man. I think you know, um. This is something that we built the social club on. You know, we built the social club on trying to provide a place for black men to feel safe, comfortable, and be able to exchange ideas, exchange information, um, and kind of let their hair down, no pun intended, you know? Mm -hmm. And so in doing that, man, it's so much pressure on the barber to provide that safe space for men. But it's like the amount of information we take in you won't believe it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and, and trying to make sure that all of our barbers are kind of trauma informed and mental health advocates. Um, you know, that's important from a brand perspective. That's important from a experience perspective for our community of customers, but you know, it's a huge burden on us. And so for a long time, man, I'm behind that chair 10, 12 hours. And it takes a toll on you mentally, physically, you know what I mean? So on and so forth. And I think now I've just learned to kind of create this regimen. And I've been preaching for so many years about uh, men that sit in my chair, you know, seeking therapy and like finding a therapist, so on and so forth. And I just uh, 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 started with a therapist, I want to say about two months ago. So I've gone through like four sessions now. It's dope, man. It's, it's, it's super dope. And I think, you know, to answer your question more specifically about what am I doing to take care of myself, you know, I'll kind of focus on three areas and that's food, rest, and exercise. You know what I mean? Um, and so as long as I'm doing those three things, uh, I'm good, right? And I've learned that food dictates my mood. Uh, I've learned, you know, that rest just makes me less irritable so I can be like in a better mental space for those around me. You know what I mean? Cause sometimes we like haven't done our job and taking care of ourselves and that makes it worse. Like that makes us more susceptible to other people that may not be as evolved or, or taking care of themselves as well to like get us out of our, you know, our Zen. And I think uh, exercise for me is probably the biggest one. Uh, getting up, running, getting to the gym. I haven't been going to the gym as much, you know, as of recent, but I am still running. You know, I started running uh, like in May, like the end of May. And I ended up running a half a marathon by October. And I didn't, I didn't plan on doing that. It was like, I ran one block and was tired as hell. <laughs> and then ran two blocks, you know, the next time I ran. And then I would run a block and then walk a block and then run a block and then walk a block. And I didn't know at the time 
but that's called intervals. That's the actual training, you know, uh, method um, to run a certain distance and then walk a certain distance. And so, you know, just being not as hard on myself um, and getting out there and running. And then I started to fall in love with it. And by October, I was running 13 miles, bro. So like just um, picking challenging things and then being kind to myself uh, and the amount of time it takes to get good at it. I would say that's what, that's how I'm taking care of myself. You know, just being patient with myself. Mm. See, I'm going to extend these kudos to you because (laughs) I had a goal on my list of goals this year. And that is one that I had of actually running some type of race this year that I did not even scratch the surface on this year. So kudos. You said that was a half marathon that you did? Half marathon, 13.1 miles. I'm I'm, I'm going to do a a, a full marathon at some point, um, 26.2, but... You know, I'm just trying to have fun, bro. Like running was fun, you know. Mm-hmm. And back in the day, I told myself the story that I hated running. You know, and mm-hmm. I think a lot of us have told ourselves that story that we hate running. And I think what I learned about running this time was that it's not that I hated running, it's that I didn't know how to run. Mm-hmm. And so if you hate running, it's because you're probably running wrong, meaning you're running too fast, right? Or you might not have the right shoes, you know. And so like for me, it was, I was running that bl- that one block way too fast. I probably was running that mm. block at like a six and a half minute pace. Mm. So now I'm tired as hell. I can't run a whole mile at a six and a half minute pace. Maybe my pace mm. is nine minutes. So once I did it consistently and start using apps and things like that, that was like coaching me and teaching me how to run at a pace that was comfortable for me, I'll start being able to run for longer distances and, uh, you know, at a slower pace. And then that pace naturally picks up just through repetition. So I think like, that's a, that's a big thing that I think I've learned from therapy is that we experience things as youth and then we carry those things for the rest of our lives. And we start to live mm-hmm. our adult lives through the lens of, you know, our childhood experiences, you know? Mm-hmm. And we tell ourselves stories based on those experiences you know and it could be as simple as i don't like running or i don't like math or i don't like this food um but it's like Mm -hmm. that's something that happened back then and you're living a a set of self-limiting beliefs today Mm -hmm. yeah well he answered every single question we had ladies and gentlemen that's our episode It's really cool that you said that about just running your own race. Um, I often find myself um, having to reset my mental in terms of um, understanding that my race is mine. I'm not measuring myself versus anybody else. My best pace is based on what my pace was yesterday. And it's not just running. This is simply going to work every single day. This is being available for my family. This is just all the things that I naturally do yeah. Uh, and then I find myself when I overexert so much, like you said, I get tired and I'm just like, you know what? Mm-hmm. We going to prop these feet up on this uh, ottoman. Yeah. And whatever <laughs> happens after that happens. Yeah. If I fall asleep, I got my rest. And yes, yeah. between that, some good food and making sure you get the exercise. And I think that's heavily important to make sure you are well-rounded. And that's what it's all about. So 
that consistency is important, man. I, I think that's so true about running your own race and, and running in, and like literally running. Like you mentioned, you know, as long as today was better than yesterday, that's the, that's the W. But I would also argue that like, even if today isn't better than yesterday, you know, as long as you're running that race, as long as you're still trying to move forward, like today's time might be a 10 minute mile and yesterday's time was an eight minute mile, but you still mm-hmm. ran that mile. Yesterday, mm-hmm. you might've had some great phone calls. You know, today might've been a whole bunch of no's, but still make the mm-hmm. calls. Like that's the consistency, that's repetition. And that's to being kind to yourself. Like I didn't win as much as I won yesterday or nothing happened today toward mm-hmm. getting to my goal, but at least I'm doing something, you know what I mean, to get there. And then when you need that rest, be okay with taking that rest, you know? And that's that, it. Because rest is also a part of running. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Some days mm-hmm. they say the best run is no run. Because mm-hmm. you got to recover from all the running that you did, you know? And uh, I think we look at that in athletics, but we don't look at that mentally. We don't look at that in, in, other, in other aspects of life. Sometimes the best run is no run. Mm. That's facts. I know we have a lot of things that we want to ask and get into. Yeah. Um, so we first and foremost, we just want to set the table. Um, next thing is really where are you from? And like how did you get to where you are right now? Like yeah, yeah. So I'm from Flint. I'm from Flint, Michigan. Uh, originally born in Flint, raised in Flint for a little bit, then moved to Detroit. Uh, Joy Road in Granville, um, then moved to Kalamazoo, then moved back to Flint, um, mm-hmm. and then moved back to Kalamazoo uh, for high school, and then mm-hmm. came to Detroit for college. So all around Michigan, man, bouncing around. And I think being from Flint, you know, and like learning how to play basketball there with some of the best basketball players in the world um just gave me that competitive edge and that confidence and then coming to Kalamazoo just taught me how to like interact with a ton of different types of people um and then being in Detroit I think especially like now uh and as a as an adult you know going through college uh until now it's taught me how to hustle bro like this is a city uh of hustlers you know Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. like if you understand how to build a community and create value for that community, um, you know, that, that's the game. Like, can you create value? Can you, and and it's, it's just like, it's possible here. You know what I mean? Like you can start a business here uh, and people will support it, you know, or not, but like, if you can corner the market, um, then you've got a good opportunity to be successful, not only here, but expand outside of Detroit. So I feel like Detroit is like the breeding ground for, um, you know, a lot of great things because it's a, it's a place that where the barriers to entry aren't as high. The barriers to entry really are, can you hoop or not, right? It's like, mm-hmm. you, Detroiters don't really care, you know. I mean, they, they, Detroiters care where you're from, but it's like, they don't really care uh, about like status necessarily. Detroiters don't care about status like that. It's mm-hmm. like, is what you're doing good or not, you know? Um, yeah. And, 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 and I think, you know, just learning how to build something uh, is, is uh, 
what I learned from Detroit. But I started that in Flint. I started, you know, learning how to make money in Flint. My mom uh, suffered from schizophrenia, bipolar schizophrenia. So, you know, my relationship with my mental health has been uh, very intentional from a young age, just seeing my mom go through everything she went through, right? And so in Flint, because she wasn't able to always hold down a job because of her mental situation, um, my brother and I had to learn how to make money at like 10, 11 years old. So my dad's out of the family, um, who was middle class, he's an engineer. My granddad was a basketball coach. They would buy us Tommy Hill figure or they would buy us toys, you know, the He-Man toy or the new Ultimate Warrior toy or whatever it was back then. And uh, when we get done playing with it, we would sell the Sonic video game. We would sell these t-shirts. We would sell this little stuff to our homies and make money. Mm-hmm. Or we would I find, you know, 10 cent on the ground and go buy a whole bunch of penny candy, 10, 10 pieces of penny candy, you know, um, with that 10 cent. And then we would ask our friends, yo, um, do you want this piece of candy for 25 cents? That's it. And, and, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden, you know, we've got 250 and we can use that 250 to go buy two rally burgers, you know? Um, and so that's how we learn like, damn, we can take 10 cent and turn it into a couple of dollars. Like mm-hmm. that's entrepreneurship, but it was born out of necessity, you know? Um, it was really born out of my mom's mental health condition. Man, that's, the moment you start talking about that penny candy, you took me right back to the east side of Detroit <laughs> yeah, yeah. where the penny candy store was two blocks away yeah. <laughs> and you went there and it was just like, ah, penny yeah. candy. Yeah. But that's a great analogy that you put together when it comes to, you know, we don't necessarily care about the status and how much you accomplish things of that nature. Detroit is Detroit. Yeah. And one of the best things that I can say when I, Whenever I look out to guests that um, want to join our podcast, it's just like, what value do you add to the community? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to commend you because I remember, I think it had to be my freshman or sophomore year. Um, and I think you guys had just opened the barbershop there on campus, right? The, the Towers uh, dorms. Yeah. And you was just like, you know, I, I got this vision. I want to do X, Y, and Z, blase, split. And I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. I was like, that sounds real good, bro. Like, I hope you do it. <laughs> and here we are, I want to say more than 10, 12 years later. And, you know, you you have Social Club, I believe. You have uh, Shop Talk. I've seen some of the clients that have graced your chair. And uh, you just handle it with grace and a smile on your face. So, bro, that's... We going to get into some of those things. But... um. I'm about to make a part two because this guy's <laughs> busy, black, and blessed, like I love to say. Um, so with that, you know, Detroit is a very unique place. I was getting to that as it's all about what you can do for the city. And we see that with our sports teams. We see that the people that come to play for our teams, you can be all 10 and one as the Detroit Lions were. And if you give your all every single day, uh, there's no moral victories in sports, but when you get that one victory, we appreciate it more because it's like we yeah. see your guts and like your gains and everything just put out there every single day. With same with the Pistons, yeah. same with the Tigers, same with the Red Wings, and same as any business owner, uh, person that works in the city, person that's from the city, 
yeah. you automatically have not only a chip on your shoulder, but you also have that extra level of, well, where are they from? Yeah. They're from Detroit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll hire him. He about to, <laughs> he going to get it. I already know. He going to get it from the ground. So, mm-hmm. um, so I talked a little bit about the social club. So um, I'm familiar with it because I've been following you since you've been cut. You probably your first couple of heads at Wayne State's campus in yeah. the actual building business brick and mortar there. But tell people about the social club and, uh, you know, how, how did you come up with the name, the social club? Or how did this whole thing start? Yeah. So I remember sitting, sitting across the street before, you know, this new uh, development was built. So right now there's this huge apartment complex across the street from where our location is. And before that was built 10 years ago, there was just surface parking. And I remember sitting across the street and just trying to manifest taking over this space. It was a vacancy. Um, I had worked at uh, a barbershop and salon on campus before called Salon X. I was there for like three years. I worked yes, in there. It shut down. Um, while I was working there, I, 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 I pitched the owner at the time that uh, we change it to something called Campus Cuts. And I wanted to be the, the, the co-owner. I wanted to partner with him uh, and rebrand it and like build basically what we have now, you know, and he got it and I wrote a business plan. We took it to Wayne State and I found out or we found out or I found out that he owed Wayne State a ton of money. He hadn't been paying rent, you know, so we were paying him rent and he wasn't using that rent to pay rent. And so the business was about to close. So once the business closed, I was out of a job. And uh, I remember sitting on this surface parking lot in my car, just staring at the building. Now, remember, I wanted to be called Campus Cuts, but I had a vision that it could be bigger than college campuses. And I said, you know, when college students come to a new city, they want a place where they can belong. You know, and I said, one of the things that historically has made sense in our community, you know, uh, is like social clubs. You know, you got fraternities, you got sororities, so on and so forth. Like these are social mm-hmm. clubs, you know, that that create a sense of belonging for our community. But at the same time, I was watching the movie The Social Network um, mm-hmm. about Facebook and how it was founded, and mm-hmm. so. I was like, I want to create a physical version of what Facebook has meant to our culture. Because, you know, back then it wasn't on Instagram. It really was not like, like Twitter was popping, but Instagram wasn't really popping yet. And Mm -hmm. uh, I said, how can I create a physical Facebook that's like a social network where people can come and belong and engage with each other and and, and exchange information for real? Like that's what a barbershop really is. It's a a real social Mm -hmm. network. And I said, but it's also a country club for black men. You know, that's what I mean? it. And so it was like the social network and a country club, and students want wanting to belong to actual social clubs, like it's the social club. And I remember mm-hmm. just hysterically laughing, you know, because I came up with all this, you know how you like think of an idea quick and it's just all happening fast as I'm looking at this building with no name on it. And uh I just laughed like 30 minutes, bro. Like, damn, this is, this is really, it was like one of my best ideas at the time. And I was like, this is going to be special, you know, because it still fit 
you know, in the college campus context, but could expand, you know, outside of it. You know? mm. It took yeah. long coming up with a grooming company versus barbershop. It took longer coming up with like, what is the social club? It's the social club grooming company, you know? That took way long We're trying to find those two words that made sense. Yeah, shout out to Salon X. The moment you said it, it took me back. I was like, oh, yeah, me and Eric used to be up there like, yo, do you got something right now? Like, please. Because if you on Wayne State campus, you know, like, there's no barbershop. There's, right. Right. There was nothing. You just had this new spot called Salon X, and I was like, is it a black barber in there? All right. I see him. What's your name, Sebastian? I'm Rich. Help me, please. This party's about to happen, and I ain't got nothing going on. And uh, ever since then, I, I, like I said, I've seen the growth. And just every time I so, get on social media, I'm just like, this guy, man, this guy's going. <laughs> he is. He is. And that's all I'm going to say is he is. Uh, Jarrell, I know me and you had, taught, had a conversation about barbershops and how much they are important to our culture. Um, mm-hmm. Sebastian, I'm going to argue against you against the whole country club because we don't want their country club. They want our barbershops. So with that being said, Jarrell, I know you had a question when it comes to how barbershops and black culture are set up. I want you to expound on that if that's possible. Yeah, what I was thinking regarding the lines was to ask was, I know you mentioned it, um, Sebastian, as far as being a barber and you have clientele who may open up to you. I guess you as a barber, how do you um, keep your sanity at the end of the day with them, you know, with clients being so open to maybe about relationships, maybe about abuse and maybe about what's going on in their lives. Like how, how do you maintain yeah. like your equilibrium? Yeah. Sometimes man, it can get heavy. Um, but I think, I think it's equal parts friendship, you know, mm-hmm. and customer, you know what okay. I mean? Or client. Right. I think you go from like the first time somebody comes, they're a customer. The second time they come, you know, they're a client, maybe the third time. Then they become like a club member. Then they become like the homie. You know what I mean? Okay. Now you're going to baby showers and all type of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And so it's like, I, but, but I think at the same time, it's still like when we're in this space, we're on, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As a barber, when you leave the space or when I leave the space, I tend to uh, kind of decompress. I never listen to music on my drive home, even if it's a five minute drive home. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's my time to kind of disconnect from all the engaging that I did that day and all the burdens that people put on me uh, mm-hmm. or all the burdens I might've put on my clients. Cause like for a barber, if you're going through something like you can get that feedback from your, from, from your client as well. Um, but by the time I get home, I'm pretty close to having decompressed. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But it's definitely removing yourself from that space. And then for me, again, it was that silence. It was that riding in silence. Um, and then I think now, uh, and then it's also experience. Like you, you do it for so long, it's not as heavy what you're hearing, you know? I would imagine like any therapist, the therapist is signed up to psychoanalyze people, to hear the worst of worst. And uh, I guess, man, like I've not heard anything as bad as, 
what we all go through. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, because we all have our baggage, because we've all experienced trauma, it's really no judgment. And I think that's why men feel comfortable telling their barber because they're not being judged because that barber probably knows what you're, what you're talking about, what you've been through mm-hmm. and, and can identify with that. So to be honest, maybe it's a bit of normalcy to some of the craziness that we hear. And maybe that's why it's not as heavy as it might seem sometime until you really take, you know, you take a step back, like, yo, this really just happened. You know, it's very, very refreshing to know that, you know, for me, obviously, I don't go to a barber as much these days. However, I do know that I, I do need to tap in with you to make sure that uh, the edges of these things stay <laughs> no more than that. Um, I, I, I do recall, you know, just anytime you go to any barber, especially for me, I'm the kid and tell, I am very talkative. And <laughs> I, I try my best not to overshare, but there are some times in certain spaces where like, you know, anything that is anything to us as black men is talked about in the barbershop. Yeah, it could be the one dude who think he got absolute bars and then he going to try to give them to you in the barbershop. And so you got an audience of people. Yeah. So it can either go really good or it can go really bad. And the issue is, I don't know if in the barbershop they're going to give you the criticism that you need. Versus give you the criticism, like, the stop. We don't want to hear that no more. Um, but, like, any and everything goes in the barbershop. So, like, how do you – and not, we all seen the movie Barbershop, Barbershop 1 and 2. Yeah. So we have a rough, you know, cinematic idea of how interactions go. But, like, how do you either manifest or control – that type of environment on a day-to-day basis. Cause I know you said you try not to pack on so much of the, you know, the heavy things that people may overshare, but like, how do you just keep the barbershop being our safe space? Like, how do you think, or do you think that you even have to do anything? Yeah, I think, I, I think it starts with people, man. You know, um, for us, you know, people were like, how did you get white people and black people and all these people to get haircuts together? And it's like hiring. You know, when you hire somebody that looks like you, you know, mm. a community of people are going to come in and see themselves. Mm. When they see themselves, they're going to feel comfortable sitting in that chair. When you mm. looked at Salon X, you had looked to see if it was a black barber in there. And if it was a black barber in there, your assumption was he probably can cut my hair. Exactly. Maybe he still, maybe he still was terrible, you know, but. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have came back to that Over here. <laughs> You know, with this white guy, he definitely is going to fuck my hair up. So you know, that's the assumption. So what we've done is we've not only, like, broken down the racial barriers by, like, hiring across cultures, but we've also taught all of our team to cut all textures of hair, you know? Mm. And, I, and I hate the argument, you know, that, like, when white people say, I don't see color, it's like, that's not yeah. true. You know, I want you to. You, you do yeah. see color and you should see color. And that's what we've kind of taught our team. Like, you have to see color um, in order to properly engage that person. You know what I mean? And now we're about to do even more work in that, right? We're a Black-owned barbershop. You know, I consider us a Black barbershop, but we have white staff. 
and we have white customers. And I think mm -hmm. like there's an opportunity for allyship there, but we have to really break down what that means. So we're working with a young lady that's going to help like curate a number of books and basically a book club to help like us educate ourselves and our community, a community of white allies, like educate themselves um, to be better partners, you know, in, in this movement. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. I think for us, man, it starts with people like creating a culture in a shop, creating an open environment where anything can go, but it can still be respectful as a culture. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, when, when, when we're in there, like, it's not a lot of cussing. You can cuss, but don't just cuss for no reason. You know what right. I'm saying? And as soon as mm -hmm. like a woman or a kid comes in, like, we're going to change this music. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. and we've got, yeah. you know, a receptionist up there that's being mindful. We've got you know, like all of our team knows the rules and knows the culture and they agree with the culture um, that, that, that we've created. And so like everybody is accountable to everything, um, but then there is a leader of that, right? And so the receptionist is like QB in the shop and he, she, or they will like be just monitoring like who's here, what's the vibe? And let me almost mm -hmm. feel like a DJ to like further create that vibe. And then our job as barbers, is to just be like the facilitator of the conversation. Um, and it works better in some environments and you know, than others. It just depends on like, what's the mix of the shop, you know? And it's almost like the triangle mm -hmm. offense, like every barber is good enough at their job to like fall within this offense. And as long as we have equal spacing mm -hmm. and as long as we have, you know, an understanding of like what the objective is, we can kind of ebb and flow off of each other without a real structure to the offense. And I think that's how you create mm -hmm. kind of an organic, authentic experience where anything goes, but as long as it's within the offense. So you just combine like all of my favorite things. <laughs> Only thing you probably didn't say is jerk chicken, but we'll let that slide for the time being. Um, it's so crazy how like, if you have the right ecosystem of people, it works. Yeah. You got people that know and respect their roles and understand why they're important to the overall cause and how you still cultivate that safe space for, yeah. you know, not necessarily just us, mm -hmm. but primarily, I mean, come yeah, on, let's, you in, you in Detroit, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think that's what we're doing. We're creating like the first, but we're trying to create the first black barbershop franchise that will have national scale. Yeah. And, and, we're taking the, the black barbershop experience and then we're sharing that across cultures, but specifically with people that want to be allies to us. If you don't mm -hmm. fuck with us, you can't be a part of this company. You can't be a part of the brand. That's so like joining the organization, you're joining mm -hmm. to be an ally. And so that's the part we're trying to define now. I love it. Yeah. I really do. So as much as I want to tap into that and, I think I'm going to just come hang out just to come kick it with y'all because yeah. <laughs> it seemed like, you know, this is just the space I just need to be in yeah. when I ain't got nothing going on, which is <laughs> hard to come by these days. Yeah. Um, so I want to switch gears and talk about a young man that you have basically, I would say, wrapped your arms around. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite stories. It's kind of a shout out of the show. Um, the young man um, out of the Detroit public school system Cameron who completely... Tucker. Yes, sir. Cameron Tucker just shook up the entire mm -hmm. news waves yeah. by simply doing the thing that you make a living of to start making a living of is cutting hair. Yeah. So if you can, 
I could tell the story, but I feel like I'm going to just destroy parts of it. If you can just educate the people here on our platform, who yeah. is Cameron Tucker? And yeah. How did he become a national figure? Yeah. So Cameron Tucker is young man, 16 year old, uh, Renaissance high school junior uh, in Detroit. And, you know, like a lot of barbers, like a lot of novice barbers, you know, you don't just start in a shop. You start in the basement, you start in the bathroom, you start in the laundry room, you start in the garage. You start with clippers and clippers can go anywhere. If you have clippers, if you have light and you have a chair, then you can create a barbershop. It's almost like church where they say, if where two or more are gathered, right? Listen, you better <laughs> preach for these people, brother. Preach. Right? So it's like for Cam, you know, he saw an opportunity where, uh, you know, he has these clippers. Um, He's in school and he sets up shop in the bathroom and after school, but before practice or at lunchtime, before the next class starts, he's cutting hair in the bathroom and he got suspended. You know, now I get it, right? You can't have a kid cutting hair in the bathroom because Ooh. it's a liability for the school. <laughs> if a kid gets cut, if a kid gets hurt, then the school is responsible for that. So I get it from a technical perspective. But the suspension to me was overboard. You know what I mean? I think yeah. you have to support this kid because that what that what could have happened is, you know, if that kid wasn't strong willed like he is, mm. then he might have thought I'm doing something wrong. I don't want to. I I, I want to do something that gets me approval, and me getting suspended is the opposite of approval. So I'm doing something bad. So now I'm going to stop. And mm -hmm. but that wasn't his mindset. His mindset was, you know. Uh, I wasn't in the wrong. And so uh, somehow or another, he ended up linking up with Randy Wembley of Fox News. Randy called me. Um, Randy had done stories on us in the past and kind of had been following our journey. And he's like, yo, man, this is this young man's story. Y'all should link up. I said, look, this story is crazy. Like, I'll be willing to mentor him or give him an apprenticeship. And mm. I just talked to him, you know, this mm -hmm. one time. I was like, we got to figure out, like, how to work together. And so... Um, yeah, Cam was excited about it. We talked, and then I told him, look, I want you to read one book and write a list of 10 things you like to accomplish, and it's my job to help you accomplish those things. Mm. And so the book I told him to read was The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho, um, which I think kind of speaks to the journey that he's about to go on, you know what I mean? Um, and the journey that I've been on, like every time I'm down, is somebody else, you know, that kind of steps in to help me, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like stay the course. Um, something happens to happen, you know, uh, where I just stay the course. And so for Cam, I was just really impressed because it reminds me of my story. You know what I mean? I started at 15 in my parents' garage. And by 18, I had a full book of business and I was cutting hair in the dorms at Wayne State. Yes, sir. And Wayne State. <laughs> shut it down. Like you can't have a barber shop in your dorms. I would go to class, you know what I'm saying? And then I would cut hair and I would have a door open and had a music going and be chopping and making money and they shut it down. And then I was able to negotiate the shop back open by just saying, look to the RA, like I'll cut your hair for free. And Come on. Nothing happened here. So then that worked out. But, and then it led to a barber shop on campus and then it led to like, you know, creating these opportunities. So it's like, Let's not shut a kid down 10, 15, 20 years before, you know, 
uh, he's able to get started to build what he's looking to build. You know what I mean? Because he's going to be way further than I am now by the time he's my age. You know, he's got 20 years to get there. I'm, he, I'm 35, he's 16. And it's like, young dog really has an opportunity to uh, do something special, having access to me and other people that have uh, agreed to support him because of, you know, the initiative that he took in that school. Mm. Shout out to Cameron Tucker. Yeah, Cameron Tucker, Like, you telling me this story just reiterates how proud I am, not just of you, but just seeing him kind of come up as being one of the next waves. And I know he's in good hands regardless, but uh, I just want to shake that man's hand. Like, come on, man, listen. (laughs) I see you. It's one of the best feel-good stories I probably heard all this year because, you know, we've been living in the panini bread outside. So um, to hear good stories like this concerning our Black youth is just beautiful. So shout out to him and shout out to um, all of my DPS students that's out here still getting it in the middle of the spaghetti bread. Um, I want to I get to some even more fun stuff because you ain't just cutting regular people heads. And I, I hate to say the term regular people, yeah. but like I've scrolled to your Instagram and I have seen you tagged. I'm just like, who this is this shirt? Dang! <laughs> who are some of the most, I, I would say your top five people and I know it's going to be hard for you because you cut so many heads, man. But who's your top five people that have you have been able to grace in one of your barber chairs as you line them up or hook them uh, up? That's, that is a tough question. I think, you know, so I'll tell you this. One, um, the barber chair, barber shop is one of the most leveling environments. And I think that's why shop talk works. When a client or when a, when a celebrity sits in the barbershop to tell their story while getting a haircut. Like most of those celebrities are some of the most nervous and insecure individuals because Mm. they're sitting in this vulnerable position with everybody watching them get a haircut. Yeah. So that just makes it like cool. Um, But I was- I don't mean to cut you off, but also because you mentioned that and I want to get into that too. Yeah. Tell us about- the shop talk experience. Tell us about shop talk and how this all fits into it. I, yeah. I heard you mention it, but I, I want the people to know that this is a thing. Yeah, I'm 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 gonna jump in there. So I think I think when we first got started, shop talk started because when we first got started, um, we started to get these celebrities in the shop, right? Um, and these celebrities would be kind of talking to me or talking to whoever's sitting in their chair. Uh, or whoever's chair they're sitting in. And like, if you're a student, you're like able to like glean little nuggets from these conversations and you would have to be there to hear. And I'm like, man, we got a lot of access to these celebrities. Like, what if we start doing events, giving our community wider access to these stories? You know what I'm saying? Like, why don't we just set it up, you know? and people were willing to do it. Cause once you had a relationship with your barber, you trust the environment, you trust the community, you know? Um, so they agreed to it. And the first person that kind of agreed to it was Dwelle. So Dwelle was one of my favorite clients, you know, Grammy award winning artist, super cool dude, um, kind of quiet. Like I can be kind of quiet, um, just super understated. You know what I mean? So I think Dwelle was my favorite clients. Reggie Bush uh, was probably at the time, 
my biggest client when he came here to Detroit. Obviously, I had cut Big Sean prior to Reggie Bush, but Big Sean was like on the way up. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? When I first started cutting him, um, Reggie Bush was the guy that like was the most electrifying college football player like in a long time. Mm -hmm. So cutting Reggie Bush's hair was like crazy to me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, and that was my first like $200 check. Uh, he asked me how much I charge for a haircut. I said, bro, if I got it come to you, it's going to be $50. He's like, cool. I go, I'm like, I was like, Gab, like, call my wife. He about to pay me 50 to cut him, you know? <laughs> I get there, and I cut his hair, and he wrote me a check from Bank of America Trust um, for $200. He wrote me a check. And I looked at this check. <laughs> I said, bro, how can you get cut? He was like, I get cut like every week. I said, wait, 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 wait. You gonna, you gonna pay 200 every week? Like, you, you get cut every, uh, I call Gab like, yo, Gab, I'm about to get 800 a month off one client. You got to buy some furniture for the crib. <laughs> we made it. Baby, we made it. So I felt like I was up. And so Reggie Bush was like the first person I cut that like paid a bag for a cut. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like that was just too much. You know what I'm saying? At the time. Um, but Mike Posner, uh, super cool client. Um, Wilson Chandler, I cut a couple times. He's from Benton Harbor, about 45 minutes west of Kalamazoo. Um, he now goes to Nick, Nick Ashman, our barber, um, one of our barbers that's on the team. And, and him and Nick have become very good friends. Actually, like, you know, uh, they live in super close proximity to each other, Nick and Nick and Wilson Chandler. Um, they're like probably best friends at this point. And that's what happens, you know, uh, through this craft. Um, and I would say, like, Big Sean uh, is probably my most prolific or inspiring client. You know what I mean? Um, as far as a celebrity goes. Because mm -hmm. it's like, this is a guy that told me 12, 13 years ago that he wanted to be the best rapper of all time. And I'm not saying that Sean has gotten there but like he's in the conversation where he could get there like when he told me this 13 and you're wearing down life right now when he told That's me it. 13 years ago i was like like think about it 13 years ago 50 yeah. still popping right like, it was it was so many people mm -hmm. that he had to be better than you know and mm -hmm. I, I'm, I, as a friend, I wasn't hating. I didn't say anything like, no, nah, I don't know how you're going to do that. But in my mind, I was like, damn, how the fuck? <laughs> I not believe that. But mm -hmm. I didn't have a vision, even for myself at the time. Mm -hmm. And this guy's been a visionary for so long. This is why he's manifested the life he's manifested for himself. Mm -hmm. He's his mind, you know, um, and his belief in himself and his mom's belief in him and his dad's belief in him. You know what I mean? And, and, and the legacy of his family and his grandmother, like, and he talks about this stuff. And so he has this unwavering belief in himself and he's had it for a long time. So to be able to see what he's done over these last 13 years, and I've gotten, you know, pretty far myself from where I was then, but to see like how far he's gone 
is incredibly inspiring. Um, so I would say that's my most prolific and inspiring client. Um, so when he's here in Detroit, I'll cut his hair. I'm not cutting hair full time anymore. Um, but Ronnie McCoy, Ronnie McCoy cuts his hair in Los Angeles. Um, and Ronnie is also from Michigan. He's from Lansing. Uh, he cuts them out there. And, and Ronnie has a crazy book of business. I mean, Tyler, the creator and, you know, Sean and, you know, uh, one of the Jonas brothers. I mean, he's like crazy with it. Um, and uh, yeah, man, but, but shop talk came from having access to all these people and feeling like we shouldn't just have access to have access. If we're cutting these people's hair, and they and they really rock with us and they really trust us as their client. Early Mac is a great client, um, you know. And and if we have access to these individuals like Early Mac, who's coming in on a weekly or bi-weekly basis, and he's an incredible poet and writer and musician, it's like if somebody else is an aspiring musician and Early's right here, like let's let's foster that relationship. That's what the social mm -hmm. club is. It's a community. It's a club of people. It's a real social network, and mm -hmm. so. Shop talk was just, you know, us formalizing what happens every day in the social club, like these conversations, these relationships that are built. We said, let's be intentional about it. Let's like really focus on creating a platform where people can have a conversation and ask whatever question they want to ask. And because the barbershop is a place where anything goes, these should be questions uh, mm -hmm. where anything goes, you know, and, and that's why the celebrities in the chair getting a haircut nervous because they know what the barbershop really means. It's like, yeah. if I agree to do this, I'm agreeing to open myself up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, I just knew you was going to say, what well, I knew you was going to throw a big shine in there because I think, I think me wearing this shirt was like, <laughs> I gotta say that one. Yeah. But shout out to Big Shine, one of my favorite artists, and not even just because he's from Detroit, but because he's dope too. Yeah. Um, I seen in your chair one of the Fat Five's greatest. Oh yeah, you can't forget about Jalen. You know. cannot forget about our cultural cousin, yeah. uh, Jalen Rose. I was sitting here like, <laughs> yeah. oh, Sebastian is the man that is responsible yeah. <laughs> for some of these sharp, extra sharp lineups. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. That has been like the biggest mystery. In Detroit culture and Black culture <laughs> nationally, is who in the hell cuts Jalen Rose hair? Because it is never mm -hmm. off par. And I'm gonna show you what happened real quick. I'm gonna show you how this came, how this came together, real quick. I'm pulling up the text. I'm gonna make sure we don't got no crazy text in here. <laughs> yeah, so we can. All, you can show those later. It's all copacetic. Um. It's a lot of text. I'm going all the way back. He has established a relationship. Yeah, this was March 7th. For its own. So can, can y'all see that right there? That, that's how it happened. He said, my brother, this is Jalen. Got your man from Big Sean. So, again, the relationship I built 13 years ago led to Jalen, you know, kind of being in Detroit more and needing uh, a cut. And, and Sean made the connection. So again, Sean to me is the most prolific and inspiring client. I would say Jalen Rose for sure is the most impactful, you know what I'm saying, on my career, you know. Um, 
I mean, this guy, the, 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 the challenge. So let's be clear. You know, Jalen has like five barbers. I'm one of them, you know, mm. uh, Andy authentic is one. So he has barbers in different places. So in Detroit, I'm his barber here. Mm. Um, then he has a barber in Bristol, Connecticut, where ESPN is at. He has one in Atlanta. He has one in Arizona. Um, mm. He has one in LA. And, and then sometimes we travel depending on what's what. Um, and yeah, man, I mean, like when I first started cutting Jalen's hair, bro, I had to really step my game up. Like it took about <laughs> eight haircuts for me to figure it out. And Jalen gets his haircut every two days, every two, three days. Mm. No lie. Woo! Bang. No lie. <laughs> no lie. So, so that, so that, that, that Reggie Bush experience like six, seven years ago, five years ago, whenever he was here, turned into every other day with Jalen. Man. And I was like, Gab, we got to get some new furniture. <laughs> <laughs> this listen every, every two days listen um, but uh nah man it's been a great experience Jalen is a very good person man like super humble guy incredible professional he's incredibly professional he's like the he's like uh 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 uh, uh a younger Steve Harvey type in that like mm. he just has all these jobs and you gotta remember mm-hmm. Steve Harvey his haircut although it was a toupee his haircut mm-hmm. was like the standard, the, the cultural standard back in the day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. His haircut today is the new Steve Harper. Facts. And so it's like, that's a lot of pressure. That was a lot of pressure, but I had to step up to the plate. And uh, I was able to, you know, I was able to, you know, uh, really <laughs> establish myself in the history books of Jalen Rose's haircut. So I appreciate mm-hmm. him for trusting me and, uh, kind of giving me that platform for real and big shout out for making the connection shout out to you bro that's <laughs> i had the craziest day but this whole last <laughs> almost hour we have spent together has gave me so much life just yeah. reconnecting yeah. with you personally and then just telling us your story if you will yeah. um we have gotten to the part, part of the podcast that is my favorite yeah um not only is sitting down with our guests talking about why their mental matters to them things of that nature but it is also time to ask you a bunch of other random questions right. that you got to think on the spot. You've been good so far. Yeah. And now it is time for the wild card, ladies and gentlemen. Jarrell, I'm going to let you kick this thing off. I have like two off the dome that's like memorized. But I want to put some pressure on Mr. Jackson here because if he think he all that because he cut everybody hair. And <laughs> I just want to know if we can answer these questions. So, uh, Jarrell, I'm going to let you take it away, bro. All right. First question. Who was your favorite hip-hop artist? Jay. For sure. That's Jay-Z, uh, not Jay Cole, for the younger generation. I agree. <laughs> Facts? Yeah. So, Rich, you about to go? I got you. If you – are you a – gym shoe person or are you a non-gym shoe person you know i never had the bread to buy sneakers like that growing up my dad would buy us the jays when i was like six years old you know like the original time they came out um 
So back then, I, I started I started to have an appreciation for the Jays and sneakers and the Bo Jackson and this and other. And, and, and until recently, I couldn't afford them again. So as of recently, I've started to collect. But I'll tell you, man, like the classic Wallys and stuff like that, that's yes, one of my sir. little loafers and things. That's one of my speed. I think I just grew up not being able to afford all the shit. Mm-hmm. I can, I like over indexed on buying it, but I can yep. the classic Wallies and the classic loafers and the, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. Balance, ladies and gentlemen. It's all about balance. Remember that. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the Wallies, that, that makes me think about Ghostface. He was the person who yeah. I remember as a kid growing up. He was yeah. always rocking up. Yeah. Um, yeah. One of my favorite artists, too. Yeah. So, uh, next question. What is the favorite? What is your favorite movie that you've ever watched? My favorite movie ever? I think my favorite movie ever is He Got Game. Okay. Yeah, He Got mm-hmm. Game is, is a classic. I watched the movie so many times, bro. Um, yeah, it's got to be He Got Game. Like that, that movie got me through high school. I thought I was Jesus Shuttlesworth. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to hoop. I thought I was Ray Allen, bro. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. I wanted to get to the league. <laughs> you know? I probably should have known that, like, I was going to be a barber because I'm looking at the movie. I'm like, yo, dog, haircut, crispy, you know? (laughs) (laughs) You got a crazy drop fade. Listen, 139, 150 with tax, ladies and gentlemen. If you don't know what that is, (laughs) go do your homework and go back and watch. He got game, ladies and gentlemen. If you had to choose um, a place to live with – Either this is about your dreams, yeah, a dream career yeah. or a dream place to live. Which one are you choosing? A dream career or a dream place to live? Yep. Dream career. Dream career. Yeah, because a dream career, I think, has impact on other people's lives. You know, and and with that career, I'm obviously making enough money to be able to travel anywhere in the world anytime I want to. My dream career could be travel, you know what I mean? Making money off traveling, right? Being a travel blogger, whatever. So I think, you know, I, I would choose dream career, career, dream career over dream destination. Or are you asking, what is my dream career and what is my dream place to live? Oh, you answered it just perfect. However, <laughs> if you had a dream place to live, yeah, what would it be? Where would it be? I haven't been to Africa yet, so I can't say Africa right now. I have been in Jamaica, and I like Jamaica a lot. I just don't. Mm. Like, I just don't like that Jamaica doesn't have the infrastructure. You know what I'm saying? Because of racism and everything else. Yeah. But like, you know, I haven't really experienced Jamaica like that. I've been on, you know, the resorts, and I've you know been in a couple different places around the town. But like, I don't know. Um, I love Detroit, man. Detroit is a, is a real city. I've been a lot of places around the world. Detroit is a very real city in that, like, like we just said, like, people aren't really impressed like that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, are you adding value or not? Um, mm-hmm. I like California a lot, but California is very superficial in a lot of ways. The traffic is crazy. Um, I like being by the water. So I would have to say, like, I want to always have a spot here in Detroit, but I think I'd also like to have a spot in Cali. And just stay out the way. I got a community of like 50 people out there. Big Sean and Lawrence Lamont and like you know, Mo Beats was out there. So I got I got some homies out there that I can like 
build with. And I think I think LA is probably the next move. Shout out to that glow up because he has said several times, like, I came from the mud and I'm getting money now. So thank God <laughs> for the grind, man. Mm-hmm. Trey, next, what you question got? I have, next question I have is what is your favorite dish to cook? My favorite dish to cook. Um I think that I mean I I make a good breakfast like everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think I think steak. I, I think I made I made uh I made my wife a nice steak uh for her birthday not so long ago. Um and that's kind of that's probably my go-to dish. Like when I invite y'all over for dinner one day, you know, in the future or do this podcast at the crib or part two, whatever, like it'll probably be steak. I'll be whipping up. I know how to make a nice, medium, rare to medium steak. Listen, yeah, it sounds like we're gonna have to make this happen. I'm ready. <laughs> Shout out to you. Yeah. Um, I will ask because this panorama has really taken us to a new level in terms of how we live or things we do. Um, what is your favorite show or movie that you have watched? I'll say since March 2020, yeah. since this health emergency has been bestowed upon us by dirty people. I call it, I said it, Judge Your Mama. <laughs> Damn, that came, I'm trying to think like when the pandemic started, what shows came out then? I've watched several shows that I've been watching prior to the pandemic, during the pandemic. But damn, what's come out? Since the pandemic, you had shit like Tiger King. That was crazy. It don't even have to be that's come out since the pandemic has started. It's that oh. you have indulged in since okay. March 2020 because we were stuck in the house for a minute. <laughs> yeah. What's my favorite experience during the pandemic? I'll say Succession. I watch Succession a lot. But I'll tell you, man, that my, my, my favorite experience or show that came out of the pandemic really is versus, to be honest, like. Yes, sir. Well, that came mm-hmm. out of the pandemic. It's a strange kind of show and that you're watching on your phone back in the day. And then mm-hmm. I think like what really gave me a sense of normalcy was uh, uh, DJ Nice, bro. Like, yes, I caught DJ Nice, DJ D Nice. Um, I sound like fucking Steve Harvey. DJ <laughs> <laughs> DJ D nice. Uh, I caught I caught one of his one of his sets, and uh, it started getting shared. And I started just watching this, and I I saw this metaverse take place in real time, and it was just fire to see how many people uh, joined that live. And he provided that experience for us all, and like all the anxiety kind of like settled. You know what I'm saying? So for me, that probably was my favorite experience of the pandemic. Um, it, it, it gave me some normalcy and it kind of let me know like everything was gonna be all right. And uh, along those same lines, I think Versus has been a fire. I mean, it's kind of fizzled out a little bit now. Yeah, um, it's not what it was. Yeah, it's not, but it was fire then, I would say. I would say I like the aspect of it because it was more of an Instagram live between right. like two people's actual accounts. Yeah, so yeah. like, Erica Badu and Jill Scott to me was the climax. It was just like, yes. And like how Auntie Jill just kind of took her time getting ready. So all we had to do was have like another low key DJ 
D nice set where like she put the photo right there and you just sitting there like, oh, okay. <laughs> Have you set? Had you sipped the wine that she was gonna drink during the verses the whole time during while we was waiting for Auntie Jill? Yeah. So yeah, shout out to the original verses. I don't like this new stuff. I haven't watched it since. Right. Since they start meeting in arenas, I was like, oh, I don't watch this crap no more. Whatever. <laughs> you got some more Jarrell. What you got? You got one last one? One more last one. Okay, one last one. So are there any tattoos that you have? And if so, what is no tattoos, bro. I have a tattoo. My wife has like seven tattoos, but I don't have any tattoos. So we gotta go. We gotta go. One last question, because that's like. <laughs> Rich, you got one. Listen, I'm always gonna have one. Don't challenge me. <laughs> Don't challenge me. As I sit here and scroll, trying to figure out what I should ask this man. I got you. So, in a, you were given a scenario between one of the two. You either can choose to end a grudge with someone that you had a grudge with in your life, no matter who it is, and rekindle that relationship, or you can bring back a loved one that you have lost and be with them for one year. Oh yeah, I think that's I think that's that's way easier of a decision, right? To like I mean, I don't have that many grudges. I have probably probably all my exes. Yeah. All my exes. I'm good. With, I'm good on those grudges. They gone. Listen, because I've seen that ring, so I, I know you're good. <laughs> uh, I got a couple homies that, like, them and I fell out. Um, but, yeah, if I could bring my granddad back, if I could bring my mom back for a year, knowing what I know now, the questions mm-hmm. I have for them, like the specific questions – Mm. I need them to answer. Yeah, definitely that. Yeah, it's really interesting you said that because I often think about my dad daily. Yeah, and I'm just like, man, I would love to just build and talk with this man right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Versus yeah. when I was mad at him ten years ago for spending his money on getting my carpets. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I can only imagine what a time that'd be, and man, that'd be a time. So I got absolutely. a question for y'all. Yes, sir. If, if y'all could have. A dinner with one person, dead or alive, who would it be? Mm. And I asked myself that question: If I could cut anybody's hair, dead or alive, who would it be? But who who, who would y'all say y'all would go to dinner with, or who would y'all have on the show, dead or alive, if it's anybody? Who we have? I have on the show. Jarelli, you ready to answer that now? Because yeah, I'll, my I'll, brain's I'll, processing. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I would just have to go with Tupac. Mm. Tupac mm. was. Like as a kid, like my dad, he didn't listen to a lot of rap, but he listened to Tupac. So it was kind of just like if, if he had my dad's seal of approval, then as a kid, it was like, okay, all right. But then as I grew up listening to it and reciting the songs at like six and seven years old, it was just, it felt different. You know, it was always like a teaching moment in his music. Even in the stuff that wasn't a teaching moment, it was like celebratory, or even if it came off as negative, it was something that could be twisted to see a positive in it. So yeah, I, I would definitely say Tupac. Yeah. One of my favorite Tupac songs that I immediately think of every time I hear his name is Picture Me Rolling. I don't know what it is about all the rest of them. They're grave, <laughs> they don't respect. But every time I hear picture, every time I hear Tupac, I just in my head be like, why y'all mad? Y'all should be happy I'm free. Y'all like y'all want me to stay in jail, little busses. Like that automatically comes in my head every time I think of Tupac. Um, 
And only because we were right there in the midst of who Tupac was and probably at his greatest level, um, I would go and be very cliche. And I would say right now, because I don't have much time to think about it, and say the notorious B.I.G. Biggie Smalls. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first song I think of with him is uh, <laughs> I Got a Story to Tell. That is my favorite Biggie song. He has many great songs. But those are the two songs, both of them respectively, I think of when I think of their legacy, things of that nature. And I would probably bro one of the best salmon fillets I ever broiled in my life because when he rapped about like a T-bone steak, eggs, and which is grape, I was like, I ain't got that for you. But I can get you a dog-ass broiled salmon right now. Like, give me 10 minutes. I got you. And so I feel like both of them, we could just get them in the both on the show at the same time. Let them have a cipher and then like we just talk about like you know what they think of the current state of the world is, especially in hip hop, because mm-hmm. I ain't seeing it these days. I ain't gonna hold you up, Sebastian, bro. I sure. <laughs> uh but yes, this was everything that I needed on this Friday evening. Mm-hmm. My brother, we on behalf of our podcast, we love and appreciate everything that you are for the state of Michigan, but especially for the city that we both grew up in love. Um, I'm going to need to figure out not only how to get and just come kick it at the shop, but I'm going to need some of this dope merch that I've seen people rocking. I'm like, what's coming? We're going to drop it in April. We're dropping again in April. So April would be 10 years for us. Mm. Uh, And we're going to do like a 10 year capsule collection. Um, Mm. It's probably going to be like 10 pieces of product. And uh, everything from maybe like a book to just regular clothing, you know. Mm. So we keep mm-hmm. posting that. Yeah, I'm gonna need I'm gonna need something with that dope ass logo that you had on your profile pic. I just seen. I need one of them. You got like you. that. It ain't gonna fit on the head, but I can at least <laughs> put a hoodie or a t-shirt on. Yeah. So we gotta figure out how to make that happen. I I'll I'll pay top dollar for that. Um, but with that being said. Um, that wraps up this episode of the Mental Matters Podcast. Um, you can find us for our people at home anywhere that is title. <laughs> Psych. I wish we was on title. Um, we are on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, things of that nature. Um, check us out on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, even TikTok. Yeah, we gave in. Um, and check out the website, mentalmatterspod.com. You can find all our content and more. Um, with that being said, um Sebastian, you got anything for these good people before we get out of here? Well, look, man, I appreciate you, bro. I appreciate both of y'all. And uh, you know, let's do it again. I'm down. And, and you can find us at the socialclub.com. That's at the socialclub.com. And then on social media at social club D-E-T, as in Detroit. Mm-hmm. And we will share all of those things in our description details when we share this episode. Um, Jarrell, what have you got for these good people that have listened to us and our banter over the last hour? Uh, it's, 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 you know, the holiday season, you know, uh, continue to appreciate family. I think I made a post maybe like a month ago, like if even if you don't want to go to Christmas dinner or Thanksgiving dinner, just go anyway, because you don't know when it's, you know, that person's last time being here or your last yeah. time. So. Yeah. Right now, just appreciate everybody you can. Um, we're still going through the pandemic, so just show love. The funny thing is, I remember I skipped Thanksgiving dinner in 2010 
And that was the last holiday my dad was actually at a Thanksgiving dinner. So mm-hmm. I echo that sentiment. If you got your loved ones, no matter how much they get in your nerves and those really bad comments over the dinner table, mm-hmm. make sure you pull up at least for the hour, 30 minutes, whatever, and just yeah. get that love while you're right there while we all still here. Um, mm-hmm. With that, um, I would pull a Frazier and say, I wish you a good mental health, which I can still do. Shout out to Frazier. He's still the GOAT. And uh mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll we'll tap in with y'all next time and uh bad. All right. Appreciate y'all, man. Peace.